Thank you for tuning in to part two of the Creative Processes interview with Tony Walton. If you're just joining us, we're talking with award-winning director, set, and costume designer, Tony Walton. I want to talk about all that jazz. Yeah. Oh. I mean, yeah. of course, um, you, you won the Oscar for that. Yeah. Okay, but it was a team effort. Let's talk mm. about that mm. and how that, the genesis of that. Well, Pippin was the first thing that Bob Fosse had invited me to do at a time when we knew each other socially a bit mm. um, because his wife Gwen Verdon and Julie were the two girls next door on mm-hmm. Broadway, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we often talked about particularly the work that they, the gals, were doing, you know. Um, and anyway, after Pippin, um, Chicago, I guess, yeah. is the next one. Um, and so we worked quite. We worked on about eighteen things together, I think. Just well, that's quite a lot because of all the theatre as well that yes. you did together, yeah. or, or musical theatre. And w- when we did Star Eighty, um, I was already thinking, much as I adored him and still miss him every day, that I wasn't quite sure. I'd been going through a bit of a health problem. And I wasn't quite sure whether I was in the best shape to do this. So I kept passing on it. And he kept calling me into his office and saying, Tony, I had some questions to ask you. Didn't we do um, sort of a weird old medieval musical years and years ago on Broadway? I said, we were talking Pippin. Pippin, that's the one. He said, and didn't you get a Tony Award? for that <laughs> oh come on oh. give me a break and didn't we do a film together which turned out to produce for you your first Academy Award isn't that right what was that called <laughs> so having been quite resistant I was eventually screwed to the wall by his relentlessness <laughs> and um there were quite a few of those instances. Yeah. Another one was doing the the poster for Chicago because Gwen was the star of the show and the prime mover. She is the, the one who had actually got the rights to it. It's had a great run. I just passed a poster for it. Yes. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's ongoing. Yes. Well, the original poster, which is on the cover of the book of my work, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's here or not, um, came about because he said he asked me to do the poster for Pippin Mm -hmm. and at that time I was always doing scenic and costume design Mm -hmm. and I was going to do it on Pippin but in the course of doing the poster uh, Bob would come in and he'd say why did you choose red for her shoelaces incredible (laughs) little notes and questions and I thought this guy knows a lot more than I know I better limit myself to one discipline well and the poster (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I didn't do the costumes on that but um, he said now the the problem for you is that Gwen has always been the solitary figure in the advertising for any show that we've done together up until mm. now. And she's reached a certain age and she's gonna be off. And I don't want people to come and ask for money back mm-hmm. because it's also obviously built around her. Mm-hmm. And he said, so try to come up with something that doesn't <laughs> feature her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was a tough th- there's a problem. That, yeah. There's a problem to that because she has poster art approval. (laughs) So I did five rather similar things, all based on the same idea, and phoned up Gwen and said, uh, Bob has asked me to do the poster, Mm -hmm. and I know you've always been the principal figure, um, but I've done five different ones, and of course, you should be the one to choose which mm-hmm. you prefer. 
And so the minute she saw them, she mm-hmm. knew what he must have said. Yes. <laughs> because none of these girls were her. <laughs> they were Jen and our two daughters <laughs> and our nanny, who had been in, in the front room there. Of course, you had been a model too. But no, I don't want to get off the yes. And so, and the movie of Cabaret mm-hmm. had just come out. And um, so they, we would, they were all very familiar mm-hmm. with Fosse-esque poses. Yeah. So and I lay on the floor and drew them mm-hmm. as if I was, you know, below the orchestra pit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and that weirdly goes on and on. They still, when we were in Philadelphia, trying the show out, Bob said, I think I'm going to stage that poster. What do you mean? He said, yeah, I think we'll somehow use all the girls because he had asked Paul, Pat Zeprot, who was the costume designer, Mm -hmm. to duplicate the Uh costumes in the poster for Mm -hmm. their actual costumes. He said, I'm going to have them recreate your pose. I said, well, my pose, it was Jen's mm-hmm. name, he said, Emma's and Bridget's. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, and then I'm going to have them very slowly and subtly break apart from that pose and singing, Here Comes Billy. Yeah. And with Pippin, I mean, if you get a show that's very successful like that, mm-hmm. it's the, really the only option you have for possibly making a bit of money. Because it goes on and it has reproductions in Paris mm-hmm. and London and wherever, you know. Yeah. Um, but in that instance, this is partly an answer to your who did what. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Schwartz, the composer, lyricist of Pippin, came to me and he, his relationship with Bob Fosse had been very fractious when the show was going on. Because Bob. The original, um, what was it, what's that called? The original, original tapes, cassettes, mm-hmm. that um, Steve had created were all himself singing and playing. So it sounded like 23 identical songs. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so Bob's biggest challenge for himself mm-hmm. was how to make each one radically different, you know to start one as a minstrel, minstrel show kind of thing, whatever, you know, different points of departure. And Steve, who had directed his own version of it in school, because was very opposed to this approach. So they'd had some struggles. And um, when it was eventually videotaped in Hamilton, Ontario, where it was then touring, which is the only sort of visual version of it, uh, true version of it that survives. Unfortunately, the producer, who was a talk show host, but really had always wanted to be a director, had his own truck set up with a control system and was selecting the shots. And Bob discovered this was going on, so then had his own truck set up with and had all the controls uh-huh. moved from it. But he had controls that were still in some way working with uh-huh. the producer, so he thought he was cutting it. It's very interesting because I think we're very fascinated with behind-the-scenes yeah. things. Mm. I mean, mm. I mean, they, you know, the great films like All About Eve or whatever, I mean, yeah, I always yeah. find that so fascinating. Mm. Yes. The, the conflict and the conflict and camaraderie yeah. that goes mm-hmm. into something that seems so Yes, And how many so times, how many opportunities for failure, how many times okay. someone almost yes. walk off? And ultimately, <laughs> and, of course, the producer <laughs> discovered that Bob had his own truck and was controlling <laughs> it himself. So he fired Bob. Yeah. <laughs> and ended up editing it himself in California. Mm-hmm. And Bob sent his uh, principal dance assistant to go and try mm-hmm. to keep an eye on it and see if she could do anything to help. But it's a horrible mishmash of yeah. things still still have a fussy flavour, mm-hmm. but are spoiled by this guy. Ed yeah. Sheehan was his name, I think. 
Ed C. N. Was that his name? That's right. Yeah. How, how interesting you remembered it. I can't, I can't it remember the Mercury <laughs> Theatre, but well, I can remember many of the people who who, really who, who did something naughty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, the reason I mention this is that Stephen Schwartz came and said, "You know, Bob and I didn't really see eye to eye on Pippin, and I'd like." to direct all the future overseas productions. Um, so I wonder if you would give me your permission to use your designs. And I said, well, of course, if Bob agrees, absolutely. But you need to get his permission too, because I can't stop and say, that was my idea. Uh, you know, it was all a growth thing with little fingers coming in and poking away at the previous little fingers. And, for example, Magic To Do had originally been, he thought, was going to be a travelling troupe drifting across the fields and farms and so on, because it starts out, join us, leave your fields to flower, join us, leave your cheese to sour, join us, come and spend an hour or two, we've magic to do. And so Bob said, I know it's not me, but we're going to have to use a kind of rural palette for this. It's going to have to be with browns and olives and mm -hmm. the colour of growing things. And Pat, who was now the costume designer, uh, phoned me from Martha's Vineyard uh, in a great state of distress and said, Tony, I was hoping to have the rural costume sketches finished by now. And I know we're meeting with Bob tomorrow, but I've had a horrendous plumbing problem. My house and mother's vineyard. And I only got as far as filling in the flesh colors and you know, de detailing the eyes and mouths. And a few things, like a little bow that happened to be in a flesh color or whatever. Um, otherwise, it's still the white paper. And I, I said, oh, don't worry, Pat, and come, we'll the, bring them anyway, yeah, and we'll have wonderful. a chat and see if we can make a plan. And as luck would have it, I had just done The Love for Three Oranges, the opera in mm -hmm. London. And I had had all the company, with the exception of the heroic and wicked leads, in white, or shades of white, and just the leads in mm -hmm. a pretty powerful colour. Um, and she came and she showed these things, which of course looked beautiful because they, they looked as if they were all in white costumes, <laughs> since she had put no colour on them yet. And I said, you know, oddly enough, I just did a production that was like this, and it, everybody was very nervous, but it actually worked out kind of fabulously. Mm -hmm. And why don't you just say to Bob something like, the more I tried to picture this production and you, Bob, together, <laughs> the less I could see it in the colors we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, and I've held my hand because, you know, obviously if you don't agree, I won't do it, but I'm thinking maybe they should all be in white, except perhaps Charlemagne and Pippin mm -hmm. and, you know. Well, it's a beautiful colour for yeah. picking up the lights, oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, particularly with dance and my ballet, of course, yeah. I just love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Translucentness. Yeah. Oh, it picks up all the colours, too. Yes, it, it does. does. It does. Um, so um, Bob said, oh, oh, well, of course, I'm much more at home with that. <laughs> <laughs> so we went for that. And so now I'm, I'm meeting with Bob, yeah. <laughs> and we've shifted from the browns and golds and <clears throat> I had said so it's magic to do it's not leaving your fields to flower uh, can we do it as if the leading player is a magician mm -hmm. and he pulls all these scarlet handkerchiefs from his sleeves and that eventually he makes them all disappear mm -hmm. and then there's a little tiny follow spot that sort of searches around the stage mm -hmm. and finds the tip of one kerchief there and 
Ben Breen, the leading player, goes and finds it. And as he pulls it out, he pulls out the entire first set, which is Charlemagne's palace, and yeah. throws it up in the air, you know, oh, which beautiful. is what we did. And I did a bunch of sketches of this mm. with all these little scarlet kerchiefs. And I knotted them all together with little gold knots and occasional gold swags to mm. suggest an architectural entrance or shape or something. Mm. And Bob said, I love it, but it's incredibly powerful. Mm. And of course I want Ben to be all in black. You know? mm. So um, maybe, let's see what would happen if you imagine blowing away all those handkerchiefs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And all that's left is the little knots holding together the bits and pieces that are not the essential rectangles. Mm. And I said, ooh, I love that. <laughs> so I started drawing these things in gold ink, you know, and so on. And, um, and that was the sort of central visual motif of the show. So it was sort of like a kind of... Um, that thing. Yes, okay. <laughs> um, so that ended up being, so to say, the little engine under everything that I did for the show. And so I said to Stephen, you know, for example, the very first scene is something that came about because Bob adjusted in a rather radical way what I was doing, so neither one of us can really say that's my set. Yeah. <laughs> that was our combined work, and I think of the entire show that way. Um, <laughs> um, dressing, yeah, what's it like? About, tell us about some of the ladies, what ladies and men? Well, now it goes from our ex, from Julie, Julie Christie, who is a very very close friend of ours mm -hmm. and with whom I worked quite a bit both in film and theatre um, and Mike Nichols Uncle Barnier here on stage in the films with um, George C. Scott and Petulia and um, oh. Truffaut and Fahrenheit 451 um, well, so I'll give you an example of a couple of people and the adventures involved in costume. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, actors think of, them, of their new performing self as at least being half represented by the costume. Yes. By how so is this them. not me, you mm -hmm. know. So in many instances, unless you're working with a ballet company or dancers, um, you really, as a designer, you really need to be as much a sort of nanny during those first fittings when they're seeing themselves in the mirror mm -hmm. as who they're about to become on stage. You know? and, um, and some people are very clear about what they want. And, Quite often, the better the actor, the clearer they are. You know, Meryl Streep or Vanessa Redgrave. You know, mm -hmm. extraordinary. I've worked with Vanessa on two films. Couldn't have been more different. Mm -hmm. The Seagull. She was Nina, and she had just been playing um, Isadora, mm -hmm. the movie of Isadora, and she looked as if she was well along in age when mm -hmm. she arrived for rehearsals. Yeah. And I called up our director, Sydney Lumet, and said, Sydney, mm -hmm. she's supposed to be 15, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> he said, what's the problem? And I said, well, she's doing post-production on Isadora mm -hmm. and she's having to be all kinds of different ages every day of the week. And the exhaustion is certainly showing. Mm -hmm. And she looks sort of the opposite end of 15. <laughs> and he said, you'll see, a thing happens in rehearsals. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he was right. And she turned into this 
15-year-old girl and cost rehearsals. Mm -hmm. and, and then we did Murder on the Orient Express. Well, and, oh, and as Nina, she was very clear mm -hmm. what she wanted and how it, what she wanted it to be. Um, Murder on the Orient Express, she said, this is a, a rump, it's a nice big chunk of dessert. And you know as much about these characters as I do. Yeah. I'll wear whatever you tell me, whatever mm -hmm. you say. Totally, totally the opposite experience, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and when we were doing Mary Poppins, uh, Dillis Johns, who plays the mama in Mary yes. Poppins, called up when she arrived in California and she was due to come to a fitting the following day. <clears throat> um, and she phoned up and said, now Tony, I know my character is supposed to be one of those fierce suffragettes mm -hmm. and I probably should be costumed in that way. They all always seem to wear black and severe outfits and yeah. so on. Um, but we're going to make me pretty, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I was immediately in love with her. <laughs> That's mm. so great. I didn't, yeah, so Sydney Lambert as well. I just think about the actors, the actresses. You said you, you work with Meryl Streep as well? Yeah. Heartburn? Well done, <laughs> yes. Meryl Streep and Jack. Nicholson, yeah. Uh, yes. Wow. Yeah, he came in on the spur of the moment. It was originally going to be Mandy Potemkin playing oh, right. that role. And that would be quite a bit different. I very think. different. And of course, it's based on the story. I'm another Sag Harbor. I think yes. Carl Bernstein's yes. mm. there. <laughs> the story nowhere <laughs> from. <laughs> well, it it makes heartbreak. Makes and the, start. the writer and centre of that story mm -hmm. was our downstairs neighbour at mm -hmm. the time. Oh, so that was Nora. Nora, yes. Oh, I didn't realise mm -hmm. she mm -hmm. lived in this. Oh, of course. Yes. Uh, she wrote sad a, a very she... funny, funny piece about it, uh -huh. which was published in New Yorker, I think. Uh -huh. And it, it's about the dragon lady who was then the sort of proprietress or whatever. <laughs> there so was a sequence in Heartburn yeah. which sadly was entirely cut out but I think it was Sidney Lumet and probably Nora trying to take advantage of the fact that they had Meryl being Nora. You know. mm -hmm. So once her marriage breaks down, in the movie as completed, every so often during the scenes that followed her booting him out, her hubby, um, she would fantasize sitting in the subway and there would be um, Kevin... Which Kevin? I'm not. Kevin? Klein? No. Bacon? Uh, no. Very good. <laughs> well, um, the one who's now non persona grata on the Spacey. Kevin Spacey, yeah. So there would be Kevin Spacey as a stranger mm. on the other side of the subway, train, carriage. And she would have a flash fantasy. Wow. Of her being in a kitchen and his coming home from work mm -hmm. and her saying welcome home whatever the name was mm -hmm. and in each case it's, it's, it would be you know an Arab or a, all kinds of very very different people she would spot and have this flash of yeah. wondering what it would be like and she was breathtaking you never knew what was going to come because Sydney kept it kind of loose and let her find it in the moment. Mm -hmm. And it was so terrific, but it was 
in the end, in context of everything else in the movie, clearly a sort of stunt, you know. Right. She was just being Meryl the unbelievably brilliant. <laughs> mm. And not so much Nora. Mm-hmm. Um, she could do Nora's accent perfectly. Mm-hmm. Ma- Mike Nichols is sit between them in the car coming back from shooting and saying, Dear God, not two of you simultaneously, because they'd mm-hmm. both be speaking in the same voice. And, mm-hmm. and then it was an extraordinary scene. I can't quite remember how it was set up. She has their baby in her arms and something happens where a male visitor, I think, coughs Mm -hmm. and the baby says Dada and the baby that had been cast (laughs) could not be encouraged to say Dada whenever Uh it happened. And Mike eventually said, let's drop it then. Bring in one of your own things tomorrow. (laughs) 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 And and Meryl said, oh no, it's so unfair. Let's give it one more chance. So it was all set up again. And the cough came and the baby went, (laughs) Dada. And it was Meryl throwing her voice oh <laughs> <laughs> so she was, does babies too it was, yes. a and the baby was so mm-hmm. surprised to hear mm-hmm. this thing that it had been mm-hmm. taught over and over to say that it turned and looked by its mouth movement as if it actually was saying it wow. it was an amazing thing <laughs> so she's another of those miracle creatures Wow. Another, there's not so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mara's pretty unique. Yeah. So, what is it? Uh, if you talk about the different direct, you you've been an art director. You are a director, like and then in theater productions. But talk about some of the different directors you collaborated with, and their different approaches. You were talking about with, with us, Mike Nichols, mm-hmm. and it was being loose. But Sydney Lamet was also Sydney Lamet did more homework. Yeah. than any other movie director as well. I actually worked with him on a, a five or six movies wow. and also one stage production called The Shore, mm-hmm. um, which is a Holocaust play with oh, Boyd Gaines, a fabulous actress who lives across the road, Diane Wiest. Oh, yes. Um, she lives, she's in this building? Not this one, but she lives just across the other side of Broadway. Uh-huh. Um, so Sydney was simultaneously incredibly well prepared and did his homework and expected you to do yours so that he could shoot at speed and yeah. never go over budget. Right. And was famous for never going over. Right. And it was also what he was, to some degree, attacked for. Right. You know, other directors and sometimes actors would say, "Why does he care? It's not his money." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, but <clears throat> you know, it's that's how you get to do in the next one. Exactly. <laughs> Even if it's a masterpiece, it's yes. so far over. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he became a very very close friend and we still take his widow to supper every Sunday oh. and an uh, adorable and it was interesting just last month um, yes just at the end of last month we went to the Library of Congress mm-hmm. for three days in Washington to um, I may have told you to do a a celebration, a 40th anniversary celebration of Sydney's movie of the Wiz. And um, it was very sad that he wasn't there for it. But I tried to keep the feeling of him present. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and they've got Library of Congress has been gathering my things, so they've got all the costume designs and the production designs for that in their archives, and they've brought them out on, all out on display, mm -hmm. and we're having screenings of the new movie with Q&As and so on. Well, it's another one of those things that I ended up doing by accident, mm -hmm. because in a sense, because we had just been shooting Equus together mm -hmm. with Richard Burton and Peter Firth, the original boy, you know. Um, and I, it was freezing cold in Canada where we were shooting. And by the time the shooting was finished, I sort of knew I needed a little break um, and I had all kinds of interior problems going on. Um, and Sydney phoned up out of the blue. We were in Malibu, I think it was an opportunity to visit Emma. You know. mm -hmm. So um, she might have been doing That's Life with Blake and, oh. and Julie. And, um, so he rang up and said, Tony, I think I'm going to do the movie version of The Wiz. I said, oh, wow, I said, and he said, and I'm going to do it with Diana Ross as Dorothy. I said, not a child? He said, no, but, you know, she can be a school teacher of young mm. kids. I said, it has to be a child. How would you get to the fantasy otherwise? You know? mm. And he said, well, my secret reason for wanting him to do it is that his, his two daughters were the granddaughters of Lena Horne. Wow. Uh, that I can have Lena Horne sing to her granddaughters, believe in yourself mm -hmm. in the sky. Um. <laughs> he said, That's like, that would be like a dream come true and they will never forget it. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, that's an actual reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then he said, the other thing is I don't, you know, it's obviously it's all set as a rural thing in farmlands and so on. But because the bulk of my work, as you know, has mostly taken place in New York, actually mostly in Manhattan, mm -hmm. I'd like to see if I can find a way to do the fantasy aspects of the movie in Manhattan by, mm -hmm. in some way seeing the familiar city through a different filter mm -hmm. and have it be, so to say, magical. So that's, I said, that's, I, speaking of somebody who would have to try and cough that up, that's just not possible. You can't have a man in a lion suit walking mm -hmm. around the Twin yeah. Towers or whatever. Yeah without it just seeming ridiculous, becomes a giggle fest. And mm. he said, no, I think I'd really be interested in trying to do it. And your challenge will be, how do we fix each of the locations we go to? Or how do we make a piece of them in the studio so that we can slide into that? So that we will accept these people in these bizarre fantasy costumes mm -hmm. within those settings. So that became, you know, this uh, remark mm -hmm. about needing to be in danger, Rilke said, you know, yeah. in order to face your most challenging work and hopefully break loose from your habits mm. um, was enough of a challenge for me to make me decide to do it. And I still think it's rather an iffy end result mm -hmm. but it's become partly because of the Me Too movement now mm -hmm. and the black community and mm -hmm. how that's being um, brought mm -hmm. to the forefront of our mm -hmm. culture um, it's become a, a film that has a fanatical or black audience sure. black, you know. well yeah it was uh, very groundbreaking I mean at the time at the time it yeah. was yes although 
it wasn't. I mean, before Black Panther, before all these yes, other yes, iterations. Yes. I mean, there exactly, have been, yeah. yes. And everybody in it was black, and that was mm -hmm. pretty well unknown at the time. Mm -hmm. And very empowering, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then you went on to, with Diana Ross, to produce her um, concert. And yes, tell yes. us about that. <laughs> that was an amazing thing. Well, she wanted to do this celebratory thing in the park, chiefly, I think, in order It was to for one and for all, yes. For one and for all, yes. Yeah. Um, to be able to fund the creation of a children's park oh, within yeah. Central Park. And that was a real reason, like having Grandma sing Believe in Yourself to her grandkids. <coughs> Um, so anyway, I was thrilled to be invited by her to do it, and she said, I'd, I don't know how, but I'd love it to in some way embrace being out in the open air under God's canopy. <laughs> so I did, even with the post, I did a sort of kite motif, wow. and then followed it through with China silk. For all the things that emerged out of, from behind the stage, yeah, and, you know, something like a giant heart, or all these different things, um, and we brought them all up on a sort of concealed cherry picker, so mm -hmm. there were no visible means of support, mm -hmm. and she was very tickled by that. Um, but I did say to the producer and director. I, I knew the director slightly. Mm -hmm. um, what if it rains? Should we have our own little canopy along with God? <laughs> mm. In worst case, just to protect the electronic equipment, because you know, should there be a thunderstorm, we can be a site for not just sore eyes, but sore every part of us. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, that's what happened. You know. Oh, right. And so you, you were protected or you weren't protected? We didn't, not at all. We were right. open to disguise. And during, in the course of her opening number, you could see this tornado coming straight for us. Mm -hmm. And there were kids climbing all over the scaffolding on which the electronic equipment was held and so on. Wow. It could have easily been fried. and. People mm -hmm. were begging them to get down. And that's the wrong kind of danger, not yes. the dreaming yes. danger. <laughs> and Barry Diller, I think, who was in some way behind it, dashed on with a handheld mic and ripped off Diana's <clears throat> body mics. You know. All right. um, and she was refusing to give up. Mm -hmm. And she was appealing to God from time to time. We're all here to, whatever it was, be alive together in your presence. And <laughs> wow. Eventually they had to stop it. And everything that we had made was out of mm -hmm. rope and uh, uh, Chinese, Chinese silk. And by the time Diana announced, we're going to do it again tomorrow night wow. before everybody broke up. Uh -huh. So we were stuck with it. But all of our stuff by then was in the mud because uh -huh. this was the first huge rainstorm of the summer wow. and all the old baked ground mm -hmm. had now just turned into oatmeal you know, porridge. Uh -huh. and our brilliantly coloured silks were filthy mm -hmm. so we had them by the cherry picker drawn slowly out of the mud while my associates and I hosed it and sort of brushed it off as it went past us, you know, wow. and put scotch tape on the splits and tears, and <laughs> we had this totally raggle-taggle thing to do the second show with, which was actually fine, because the only thing we ever really saw in extreme close-up was Diana, mm -hmm. and, um, and the slightly ricky-ticky quality of all these sails and kites. Mm -hmm. Uh, had its own, I, to me, rather pleasant look. You know. Again, 
not something that I had planned <laughs> or no. designed into it. Um, I, I want to, I want to talk about so many things, but I would like if we could now. You have this in the entryway to your apartment. Yes. These, this beauty, uh, oh, so many posters that, mm-hmm. of the productions you've been involved in. So I'd like for us to. There's you know, a few overseas ones further uh-huh. back, so let's just do a drill. Yeah, let's just do a walk through because there's so many productions you've been involved in, and I'm, you know. Oof. Going into the the nineties and the two thousands, mm. I think of um, yes. six degrees of separation. Yes, you know, film or is it film or theater? Are uh, the um, death and the maiden and and I'm sure I can't remember them all. So here, uh, you thank you so much. <laughs> and then thank you. I mean, this I should probably describe this artistic space. Uh, I'm looking uh, at the posters, my fair what? lady. Those are the two recent productions that I directed oh, and right. designed of it. I've done right. one in Michigan and one in Oklahoma. Um, so yes, uh, let's just take a tour first and then yeah. you decide where you'd like to go. So this is this kind of study. Yeah. The importance of being honest. Uh, you know, to talk about the ones that, that come out at you that, that you particularly liked being involved in. Oh, Jerome Robbins. Oh, uh, I did that's a chapter of its own. <laughs> yeah, I did some immemorial interviews <laughs> yeah. with people who'd worked with him. Um, and of course, Paul Newman is a chapter of its own. Uh-huh. Uh, let me just show you what else is here, and then you decide. Christopher Plummer, Linda Jackson, Macbeth. I'm just looking at a wall full of uh, nominations and awards. Tony Awards. Tony's. Oh gosh, there's a whole wall of Tony's. Tony, a Tony Awards nominations. nominations. Well, and it's book lined, and I see all the all the tools of the craft. Recordings. Uh, so, some of these are also my poster designs. Right, guys um, and dolls. Yeah. Guys and dolls. That one is in paper mill. All oh, right. Um, that was okay. a one that I directed. Where's Charlie? At uh-huh. the first. Uh, stage musical that Frank Lesser wrote. Oh. Um, that was a treat. We did that in the Goodspeed Opera House. Christmas Carol is at Emma's Theatre. Yes, that and she found, co-founded Bay Street. Right, and the boyfriend is also. Oh. And those are also my posters. Now these, you mentioned the caricatures. Yes. This is uh, Noel Coward. Uh, no keys. So, uh, oh, Twiggy. Yes. That was that was her first uh, acting performance. No, she had done the musical My One and Only, oh, right. which I also worked on. Oh, right. um, and these two at the end oh. are Jen's plays. Oh, yes, not waving. Yeah, and wonderful um, theme. Yes, missing footage missing below, footage. and there's another. Caricature one, yeah. Noel and Gertie. Uh, yeah, your caricatures are beautiful. Are you do even just this, just as an aside? You know, what do you look for when you're doing a caricature that ha- the start point of departure? Uh, well, obviously, if there is a pronounced feature, mm-hmm. you know, a large nose mm-hmm. or an exceptionally pretty nose, <laughs> you'll start with that. Um, it became when I was doing it for Playbill became tricky because if I would start on some feature, uh, I would try to keep my line loose. Mm-hmm. So it meant that I kept getting larger and larger. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. The so yeah. in the end, I got some rather huge ones. I'll show you one example of those. Right. Well, 
waiting for God, um, King David. I mean, the walls are just full. Tosca. Oh, look at those uh, marionettes of a horse and uh, yeah, a plane. Devil's disciple. Uh, wow. So these are all, I think, the exception, of course, of all that, yeah, things that I was involved in the direction of as well as the design of. Wow. There are some exceptions. Uh, wow. The ballets, for example. Mm. Candida, Equus. That was with, we didn't talk about that too much. That was with Alec yes, Baldwin yeah. that you directed. Uh, and that top left one, uh, The Gift of the Gorgon, that was the other one with Alec. That, right. And that's, so you, you know, ballet work. You know, it's amazing. The whole breadth of your career is just, uh, you know, I, I think it's so inspiring. I'm so happy that we've discussed. In fact, I'm just, as I said, I'm going to do an interview with another RC yes, student yeah. who's studying um, set design, and she would have yes. loved to have been here. Oh. And I guess I would like to, you know, you know, close in closing, you know, this is an educational initiative, and you've spoken about your career that's been guided by chance and grit and just throwing yourself into any new situation mm -hmm. but if you had a message for students or what do you tell your children um you know or, or your you know young artists that you you work with you know what do you think has really had been important for you and in, in your evolution as an artist oh dear well the openness i think mm -hmm. is the key thing um also you sort of need to know where you stand in relation to money. Oh, yeah. It's nice <laughs> if you have a kind yes, of um, because support. It's, a, yeah. it's not something you're going to get a lot of in the theatre. Mm -hmm. um, and you, if you go to the theatrical unions mm -hmm. and say, someone just used my design and so-and-so, mm -hmm. the kind of answer you're more apt to get is... Oh yes, it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, what is? So it's and if you fight, you can fight for it. Mm -hmm. You'll probably win, mm -hmm. but you won't make uh, as much money as the lawsuit will cost you. Sure, <laughs> and you in the friendships and and being able to just allow for those things to happen because yes, they're yes. all boring. We're all boring and supporting yes, each yes, other yeah, as yeah. we go. Yeah, because then ideas are never like completely new. You know, they right. come from echoes. And I don't. I don't. Else ever quite feel as if any of us own them. Mm. I think this fabulous lighting designer, Abe Vader, I was telling you mm. about, there was a description of a lighting um, technique mm. that he had used for Orson Welles, and I think it might have been Julius Caesar uh, in the Mercury Theatre, where everything was black, there were lights under the stage mm -hmm. through black vents and the actors were in black tubes and at the in the grid where the tubes were suspended from were other lights and the actors were revealed feet first slowly mm -hmm. as these tubes were pulled up and they, mm -hmm. and I phoned him up and said uh, I just read you did this thing and it would be such a wonderful way to reveal a very leggy fossy girl in oh, Pippin, yeah. yeah. And he said, oh my God, tell me about that. And so I reminded him, he said, oh, that was great. That was really good. I said, I would so love to borrow it from you and to give you credit. He said, mm -hmm. credit, what do you mean? None of us is entitled, Every, nobody owns a good idea. Yeah, he said, yeah. exactly. We're all be I think that's the beautiful thing about collaborative, the collaborative arts, the yes. performance, is that we're all building yes. on each other's exactly. and yes. that makes it stronger. Yeah. yeah. So there's one more little section, which is almost all overseas stuff. Mm -hmm. These are from um, limited editions, book of two Oscar Wilde plays. Mm -hmm. Important to be known as the native in his family. Sorry. So this is mostly England. Maybe this is all, almost all England. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of A Street up there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
lantern. And All right. Lantern behind you. All right. And just explain which ones. Oh, there's Pippin. Mm-hmm. Okay. In London. Yeah. Um, Forum in London. Uh, okay, for me yeah. in London. Yeah. This was my first set design at Wimbledon Repertory Theatre. Oh, wow. Wim- I have to get a photo of that. Uh, where is it? Where is it? The date or? No, somewhere no. there's a little. Here we are. Decor by. Oh, you were Anthony. Anthony Burvis and Anthony. Well, yes. Alton, yeah. We were the Antonys. It's <laughs> <laughs> so special. I mean, there's, you really don't have. This is Paris. Oh, wow. Oh, Harold Pinter. Theatre, I'm sure. Ah, oh, yes, Theatre de Rampont Chanson, you say, yes. <laughs> Funny thing happened in the way to the Forum Piccadilly. Oh, it, it's just amazing, the list of people that you've worked with, the gaiety. I know that theatre well. I lived, yeah, in, yeah, I lived yeah. in Ireland. Oh, my for, gosh, yeah, I'm, half part, I'm half Irish. So, oh. um, yeah, that's great. Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I don't believe you have enough wall space. You need another no. apartment. <laughs> that's why you have your place in the <laughs> Hamilton Street. No, we don't. No, we don't have Oh, you don't. Oh, you visit Emma, of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, Wow, this is Stephen's downtime. I mean, you know, I just, I think that the the talent, the, this the other thing I would like to address, because musical theatre and mm-hmm. theatre, you know, mm-hmm. um, technologies, oh, this, oh, this is great. Little, these are recipe, but it was for a recipe book. I oh, that trying, was with Jen? No, it wasn't one of hers, actually. It was the United Nations School. Oh. I don't know if you can see Eunice in there. Oh, I see. Um, and it was... A few more here. Um, it was because Emma was going to move from L.A., come mm-hmm. live with us, and uh, mm-hmm. I needed to ingratiate myself. But this <laughs> is the school that Bridget was at. Right. As it turned out, Emma went elsewhere, but that was the reason these got done. <laughs> well, it's always interesting how the creativity can be yes, spurred by all sorts of things. Um, but what, oh, those are the books then of Jen's um, uh, yes, cooking uh, books, yeah. so Loaves and Fishes. So it's, as well as being a, a, a playwright, she's a, yes, a cookery book writer or a food writer, I should say. Um, but I just want to I want to ask you because we technology technology is is wonderful and all of this, but we do slightly become dependent on it. Changes the way we interact with our yes. imaginations, yes. and you really came up during this like golden age of theater, musical theater. Right. And what can we do to really? So many people. I mean, I was just at a performance at Bay Street. In mm-hmm. fact, attended by high school students they have a nice program there uh, where they invite them in and it for many it had been the first their first exposure to really? theater mm-hmm. and I feel that and that's quite um, common I mean there's there's adults who just never who grow up never being exposed to theater mm-hmm. and so as much as you've been involved in film what can we do to uh, increase our per, um, appreciation of these the well, yeah. recent ish Mm-hmm. push which is the reason I did the um, Gift of the Gorgon Peter mm-hmm. Schaffer's play at Guildhall is, um, which is by the way the only place it's ever been done in America wow. um, because it was timed in England to the IRA riots and bombings wow. and, you know, and America hadn't quite had to face anything mm-hmm. recently like that until 9-11 so it wasn't sure. even though it had Judy's Dench starring in it. Mm-hmm. It was never picked up for America. But it's both about terrorism and about the writer of the play itself, who is at a point in his rather successful career when he regrets becoming part of a movement that is spoon feeding the audience with more and more. Um, gifts to make the story accessible and wishes he were back in Roman, Grecian, Shakespearean times mm-hmm. when um, I've actually got some quotes there in that piece I had for Vegas when Shakespeare would say imagine 
imagine you see a thousand horses planting their hooves on it, you know. Yeah, that really is the magic of theatre. Right, and it was a time in which the audience was required to mm. be to bring their own imaginative forces to work, and they were fifty percent of the overall experience mm. through contributing in that way yeah. to it. Um, so, and then along with the fact that most productions that are going to go start say out of town. Mm-hmm usually have a gypsy run through in the mm-hmm. city before they go so that the actors friends can come and see it on a Monday mm-hmm. night before it goes and it's invariably thought to be the best that show ever was mm-hmm. because the audience are imagining their own costumes or their mm-hmm. own environment for it you know mm-hmm. and uh, the only time that I'm aware of that it wasn't the best version of any show was with 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Oh. The Bicentennial Bomb by Anne oh. Lerner and Leonard Bernstein, yeah. which I was designing. And as we, as we were setting up the set in Philadelphia, they had the gypsy run through here. And Adam, Alan Lerner phoned up the next morning and said, Tony, uh, I have to tell you about the gypsy run through, and I said, I'm dying to hear. Was it fabulous? It must have been fabulous. He said, No, it was ghastly. They had no idea what we were doing or why we were trying to tell them a, sh- a show that seemed to be in rehearsal as if it were about a set of states trying to become a nation. And uh, so the fact that we've structured this to appear to be a production in rehearsal that eventually gets closer to a full production simply isn't working they didn't get that so everything that is mentioned if it's the oval office we have to be in the oval office you have to build and get a new set built right away it's a much more complicated story than i can begin to go into here but it was torturous i did coincidentally and simultaneously get Legionnaire's disease because we were in Philadelphia and I -hmm. went there early and was staying at the Bellevue Stratford Mm -hmm. Hotel and several Legionnaires were dying all around. Uh, At that time nobody knew what it was and I just thought I had a horrible flu and I began to fantasize and Mm -hmm. it was an amazing time. Anyway, there was, I said to Alan, and if we're going to converse everything, what what it was was a lot of old, seemingly old mm-hmm. scenery from ancient productions, mm-hmm. just thrown about on mm-hmm. stage, and gradually the cast tweaked them around or whitewashed one or a part of one or whatever, until gradually it was assemblable into the White House or an, an acceptable stylization of the White House, and. Um, so now all these things that are just rehearsal nothings have to be the real um do we have available budget and he said mm-hmm. alan so that's the other problem my roommate from harvard who is now the head of coca-cola provided the entire funding for the show mm-hmm. and last night he took it out oh. when he discovered that it was all going to be how badly the black population has always been treated by mm. the presidencies. Wow. And uh, that became very interesting. Uh-huh. And that was only the beginning. It got worse and worse. <laughs> so it, it is true. So how do we make, how do we introduce younger audiences to mm. theatre, to musical theatre, which even theatre, they kind of understand through other mediums, but musical mm. theatre is less. How, how can we do that? How can we be encouraging, you know, so that the golden, I think the golden age of theatre and musical theatre that you certainly experienced and was a part of, um, is something that future generations can take part in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is beginning to mm-hmm. get in another life. Um, I think the fact that Disney, for example, and a couple of others have done musical films written by 
the creators of stage musicals has made it easier. There are things like, uh, you know, Little Mermaid and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, which were all written by the creators of theatrical musicals. Um, so I think that gives a way in if the new or younger audience has a chance to see one or two of those and go, my goodness, what's that? Yeah, <laughs> but it's this thing I'm missing out yes, on. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it's 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 so lovely. To, I I could just spend all afternoon here, but oh. we'll we'll be we'll be in touch with. Uh, I didn't even get to touch on the fact that you actually also you know illustrated some of um Emma and Julie's yes, books. Lots of uh, them, the yeah, yeah um mm. Dumpy the dumpster and <laughs> the whole series. Um, I think that's just so wonderful that how you can include the family in your various. Me works. too. That's yeah. the ideal. Even in these huge productions of My mm -hmm. Fair Lady I've been doing. If there's a way to make it a family event as well. Right. The gal who played Eliza in Michigan, who's someone yeah. I've worked with a lot, she's been in most of the Sondheim revivals. She had a four-year-old child and a brand new little baby gal just weeks before we started rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And so seeing her sitting in rehearsal outfit for Eliza, mm. you know, having the shawl around her and thinking, that's a damn big bunch of violets she's got in there. Of course, it's the baby feeding on her. Oh. And I love that's, that's that a whenever there's what, a, what an experience to give. And yes. then she'll remember, mm. that goes right into imprinting on her. Yes, and yeah. she'll become... Well, she'll and her little four-year-old uh -huh. was learning the violin and getting rather good at it. And... She, Jessica, had been a child performer. Yeah. So I said, why don't we see if um, mm -hmm. Gavin would like to be one of the buskers in the opening yeah. sequence in this? You know? And she said, oh, that would be And I said, in the end, when you come back as a lady to Covent Garden, he can be the one in his immensely overlong coat, like uh -huh. Dopey, you know, because he will be sitting uh -huh. on the shoulders of a much taller busker when he's playing the violin oh, right. with a coat wrapped around that so he can come in trailing his coat and uh -huh. give you a excuse me a bunch of violets uh -huh. as a whole sort of flash memory thing of what you used to be doing here and she said yes so we did that we rehearsed it rehearsed it quite a bit he came up with some really useful bits of business which I later stole but just as we were about to go into technicals and dress rehearsals, he said, uh, do I have to be here every night for this? Uh, all practical. I'm trying to be paid over time. So I said, no, Gavin, it's okay. We'll find two other people to be you. <laughs> but it was a lovely gift of the imagination, mm. creativity to pass on to the generations. Yes. I think yes. that's really yeah. the thing with the arts. Yeah. Well, thank and of course, I, yeah. um, Emma's mum, my ex, was Julie. there as a tiny kid. She was already oh. a star. Well, that's mm. that, this, it's so lovely. Um, well, I well, mean, it's a great Emma talked about it. Yeah. But she's, over the last couple of years, or maybe a bit more, since she's been writing the memoir, Julie, yeah. Yeah, she suddenly has access to stuff she never really was aware of. What's who that? her mother was, you know. Yeah. And it's stunning. It's really good. Yeah. And it's good for Julie, too. She loves the fact. I w we were talking I about that. We were saying how we don't really know our parents before we were born, or even when we were born, yes. we were out mm. doing productions or whatever work. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a wonderful opportunity. And I mm. think that, you know, if more people have this chance to sit down yes. with their parents mm. yeah. and turn it into something you know, just to, to have to pass on to yes, the generations. Yes, All that yeah. wisdom shouldn't disappear. Yes, yeah, you know? right. And well, that little boy, he didn't do the performance, mm -hmm. but he contributed a lot to it. And yeah. so he was wearing a top hat too, and he gathered the money from the crowd and all that. Yeah. And um, he has now become, his dad, a husband of Jessica, created a theater in Michigan called the Encores Theater, redoing musicals and they did Sweeney Todd. Now Gavin is besotted about Sweeney Todd 
and oh. can remember every word, every note, every line, you know. How magical. And he's performing it, yeah. And his dad made for him a magic barber's chair that did mm -hmm. the disappearing corpse oh. trick. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So he's unstoppable. Um, I wish, will we be in touch? We'll be continuing this okay. project with the, um, in the Hamptons and the Guildhall. So, but thank you so much. This has been Such a pleasure. Wonderful. I loved meeting you. Yes. I loved staring well, at you too. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Well, I'll be, you know, making you do a portrait and then that will go alongside the interviews oh, okay. with Emma. And I hope uh, we'll be in touch with Julie too, but we're, that mm. might be for my return trip. But, right. But it, I, so it's when wonderful. you go, you'll go back to Paris? Yes. Oh, my God. So thank you so much, Tony Walton, for... Just everything, your whole body of work is so inspiring. It's so much, you know, these essential works of theatre, musical oh, theatre. And thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. It's been an extreme pleasure. I have. I've loved meeting you. Thank you. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Jesse Jensen. Digital Media Coordinator is Yu Young Lee. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Anthenian Trio. We hope that you have enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved in our exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info.